Welcome to Line of Sight. My name is Don Heider. I'm the Executive Director of the Markle Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University. And I'm Bridget Helms, Executive Director at Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship, also at Santa Clara University. And we are so happy to have with us today, Shay Duncan Smith. Shay is the Vice President of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Santa Clara University. Prior to working at Santa Clara, Shay served as Assistant Vice President and Dean of Inclusive Excellence and Community Development at Swarthmore College. That's a long title. <laughs> In her role at Swarthmore College, Shay provided strategic direction for diversity, equity, and inclusion policies and initiatives for students, faculty, and staff. Previously, Shay has held a variety of progressively responsible um, leadership roles at Swarthmore, University of Michigan, and University of Southern California Race and Equity Center. She has over 20 years of experience developing and implementing strategic plans and initiatives to promote diverse, equitable, and inclusive cultures for students, faculty, and staff. She has collaborated as a thought, strategy, and action partner with higher education institutions, nonprofit organizations, and Fortune 100 companies to assess, evaluate, and reimagine strategic initiatives, organizational cultures and structures, programs, and assessment processes, basically soup to nuts, everything you need to do. Shay's continued commitment to anchoring diversity, equity, and inclusion at the heart of organizational change and culture is demonstrated in her work in developing training and learning modules to build intercultural capacity and critical consciousness within organizations. She's completing her doctorate in higher education management, University of Pennsylvania, spent her formative years in Michigan, and most recently moved from the Philadelphia area. She currently resides in Santa Clara with her partner, Tony, and four children. All right. Wow. So Shay, what has the move been like to Northern California? It has been um, a whirlwind, <laughs> I, I would have to say. Um, it, it's been actually a, a smooth transition. Um, of course, we, we love the weather, especially with what's going on in Philadelphia this time of year. You know, my children have, um, so they're at a, um, at a charter school that they're really loving um, and have been able to make great friends and uh, engage uh, with a lot of folk in the neighborhood. And I think the um, the thing that we love the best is our our youngest Lucy. Um, you know, her daycare is right down the street from our house, so we can walk her there <laughs> every day. So they've been able to find find good friends. Um, and and luckily for us, my um, my partner in life, um, a lot of his college buddies are out this way, and so uh, a lot of uh, Wolverines go blue uh, <laughs> and go Broncos, but a lot of uh, uh, U of M folk are out this way. So that's been um, great in terms of, uh, you know, our families getting together with other families who have children on the same age. Shay, can you talk a little bit about what drew you to this role? And also, you know, given all that's happened, let's just say the last two years in this country, how has that changed this role or has it um, in terms of trying to get people to think more broadly and introspectively about what they do and how they do it. Mm -hmm. So, so what attracted me initially to um, the role 
was the fact that uh, Santa Clara, you know, talked about wanting to be and striving to be an anti-racist campus. And um, I thought that was pretty bold um, for, you know, a Jesuit institution in Northern California. Um, and we could talk about everything from like culturally what this area is like um, in the Bay. And, um, you know, uh, if you think about it from sort of a political lens, from a racial lens, all of those different things, um, I thought that to be uh, quite brave, quite bold, and was excited about the vision, um, you know, of the institution moving forward uh, in this direction. I would have to say, if you think about that in the context of what was going on in the world and what's going on in higher education, not much has changed. I just think that the spotlight um, on these issues uh, has actually come to a head in a way that it hasn't historically, where folk are really having these essential conversations around systemic and structural oppression and how we as institutions you know, play a part in that and how we uh, perpetuate that and how we have to look at everything um, from our policies, our procedures, um, uh, the way we hire, the way we um, create cultures and environments within our schools, within our centers, um, how all of that plays a part in really trying to create an, an inclusive community, a just community. And uh, so, you know, the fact that at this institution, um, you know, being an anti-racist institution means that you're actively working every day in every area to disrupt um, systemic and structural oppression. Um, I couldn't think of a better place to be. I couldn't think of another, uh, a different way to spend my time because this is, is what I consider to be my life's work. So I was excited about that, but not just with the anti-racist work, but just also with diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, and belonging in general across all um, identity categories. There's so much work that we need to be doing um, while we, um, you know, the country has a particular uh, scope and lens, you know, that's narrowly focused around how we historically ignored and try to, you know, sort of suppress issues around race. Um, it could be race day and nobody wants to talk about race, we, we do understand that in this work, there's so much that we need to do across other, um, you know, uh, categories. When we think about gender, we think about um, uh, disability, when we think about um, age, when we think about occupational status, there's, you know, all that work um, has to be done in, in addition to the work around race. Can we talk a little bit more about race, though, to start out? Because, yeah. um, you know, we've had our challenges. <laughs> on campus. And I also was extremely excited and energized by then President Father Kevin O'Brien's st bold statements around being an anti-racist uh, campus. And I just, I'd love to hear from you a little bit more about what do you think it actually takes? You know, what are the concrete steps that Santa Clara and probably other universities as well who care about this issue need to take to be an anti-racist campus? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's definitely a macro level issue, but there's a lot of the micro level things that we need to be doing as organizations to address some of these things. So looking at everything from how do we develop talent from within? How do we look at um, our performance reviews? Who is it that we're rewarding and, and elevating in terms of the work? 
Um, what are our, what do our tenure review processes look like? You know, what don't we value? And we and then I say that not because we're just dismissing it, but because you're not um, including it as a major part of the process, that shows how much it's valued, right? And so that's that's another um, area. Uh, how are we um, creating environments where um, students from diverse populations can come in and feel like they belong? What does the access look like? How are we developing pipeline? Um, what are we doing in our K through 12? How are we partnering at Santa Clara University um, in order to get someone, um, you know, a student, let's say a, a black girl that lives down the street um, who might be, you know, 10, how, how do we make that a possibility for her to be able to be enrolled in and come to this institution and be able to thrive um, in eight years? What is What is our plan for that? So these are, these things um, seem like you know they're the small things, right? But they're not. This is how, this is how we um, are able to make change. And you know, when we think about things at the macro level, how are we looking at this as a board? You know, when we look at our board and what they're what they're doing and how are they prioritizing this? How are we working this in? What type of resources are we providing? How are we investing? Um, in our future around racial equity on our campus. And so that is, um, you know, you have to approach it from, from both angles in order to be able to be successful. I mean, we could go on all day. I can give you <laughs> ideas about what things that, that we need to change, but I know we have a lot, a, a lot of additional things to discuss. I had a student last year who worked on a project and she interviewed African-American women on campus about their experience. Mm -hmm. And um, when I read her report, you know, her final project, from an ethical perspective, she did it. But it was really, it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It was, it was horrifying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there wasn't, every, every one of them had had multiple bad experiences with faculty, staff, and students on campus. And again, I don't think this is unique, but what it also told me again was, we don't really understand what folks are going through. And I think in addition to that is, at this moment in our country, there seems to be a tremendous lack of empathy. Um, and so those are two pretty big things to get over, is trying to help students, faculty, and staff at, the, at these institutions and at companies understand what other people are experiencing uh, especially things that are horrifying and insulting and degrading in many cases, and then try to make amends in some way, try to take corrective action. But even getting to that first step of empathy and listening um, seems to be challenging. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that that across the board, that's an issue. But when I think about the diversity, equity, and inclusion in the lens through which I, um, do my work, I look at um, Bowman and Dill's uh, four frames for reframing organizations. So it's an organizational change framework. And, and one of those frames is the human resource is the empathy frame. And um, you know the other frames are structural, symbolic and the political frame. But when I look at DEI work, the frames that get the least attention are the human resource empathy frame and the uh, structural frame because it's hard work. It um, Folk don't know what to do. They're just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And, and it's a big investment. It's a big investment. And it also 
brings you to the question, how do we dismantle a system that we are complicit in and benefit from? You know, in some of these areas, when it comes to empathy, there's sacrifices that need to be made. There's, you know, sometimes you have to give up your comfort, um, you know, and sit in discomfort in order in order to be inclusive and in order to create a community where folk belong. And a lot of people don't, they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. And that's very hard for them. You know, we're talking about this in sort of the from a racial lens, um, but I think across the board, that human resource empathy side, when you think about race, equity, inclusion in general, is um, a huge issue. And it's because we're, it's hard to see the water that we're swimming in. When you're a part of a culture, you know, who's never had to feel discomfort or who's never um, had to have like their norms challenged in any way, you know, you don't know you know, if you're doing something wrong or not, you don't know what, what's wrong. Um, you know, I, I remember working with an organization and, um, you know, I had to de- deal with the situation in which they had just nominated um, and uh, hired this high level exec and she was African-American woman. And, and in the announcement, they were like, you know, giving her praises, but they talked about her being so articulate and all of these different things. And she was extremely offended. And it almost made it so that they lost this particular candidate. And they didn't understand why she was upset uh, specifically around the word like articulate. And um, and really having the conversation with them where they were like, well, that seemed like a compliment to me. And it's like, okay, so so why? <laughs> why is that a compliment? And, and to understand that that um, in many other situations, you don't use language to sort of qualify or exceptionalize people's um, skill sets in this way. And you have to understand why this person looks at this as, as a microaggression, right? Um, and so those are, um, just, just to give you sort of a, a brief example, but, but that empathy side, the empathy side is like, if you think about the great restructuring and why people are, are reshuffling when it comes to employment right now and why people are leaving, it's because our organizations have not learned how to lead and do the work that they need to do in the human resource empathy side. So people are voting with their feet. You know, I'm interested in this topic around empathy and organizational change from the perspective of the different organizations where you've worked, right? So you just came from Swarthmore before that you were in Michigan. You've you've worked in a lot of different um, university contexts. And I'd be curious to know whether you find anything different or surprising here at Santa Clara or in Silicon Valley as, you know, perhaps reflected on the board or, you know, what are your observations along these lines in terms of comparing and contrasting Philly to Silicon Valley mm-hmm. or Michigan, if there are any, I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you think about both Philly and the Detroit area, you know, you're you're going to see a lot more African-Americans um, or just Black folk in general. Um, these two cities would be considered what they call chocolate cities. Um, that's, what, you know, that's what they call it. But these are these are two um you know, in terms of the, the culture, in terms of leadership, in terms of uh, self-efficacy and seeing folk, uh, like folks seeing other folk that look like them in leadership and all these amazing roles, you know, that's one of the things that you'll see. Now, when you come to Silicon Valley, you know, you don't see that. You don't, I mean, it's 3% in Santa Clara County um, of African-Americans and Black 
black folk in general. So that, I mean, that is something that's, you know, as a person who identifies as black, that is something that you could see that's glaring and that might lead to different um, social dynamics in this um, culture. But I think in general, it also leads to us being in a, a place where it's diverse in different ways um, in Silicon Valley, but at the same time, um, there's a level of anti-Blackness in this, uh, in this area that goes across, across race. It's not just white folk that are engaged in it, but there it's just across the board. Um, and so how, to, and it's because there's not enough engagement or enough cross-cultural engagement because there's not a critical mass of, of, of Black people here, right? And so that is, um, that's something that, you know, you see on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I think about, you know, the stuff that happens at my kids' schools and the things that I have to address on a day-to-day basis and try to help some of those administrators through some things. And it's just a sec- a part of like, it's like second nature. It's like, welcome to the Bay. I mean, that's literally what somebody said to me. <laughs> um, so that's, that's one example. And that's, you know, that's an extreme example. But if you think about other things that I've seen that are different, um, I feel like politically people are a lot more in the center here across the board. I think in certain areas of the country, I think both in Philly and Detroit, I felt like there was more ext- like extreme sides or whatever. But um, I think the the fact that folk are more in the center here and what that means and how that um, relates in terms of how people were, uh, relate around diversity, equity, inclusion issues is really interesting. It's almost a, um, yes, I'm for this. I want this to happen, but as long as it doesn't impact me or it's not in my backyard. Um, and, and I, um, you know, I was like, wow. I mean, as a, as a, as a person who has a sociology background, as a person who's, um, you know, has a degree in social welfare policy, it's very, um, intriguing and, and interesting. And I'm still trying to learn more. I've only been here six months about it, but that's another thing that I wanted to bring up. (laughs) Yeah. You know, not necessarily along racial lines, although I think there are some, um, interesting, correlations there, but this is particularly acute when it comes to the homeless problem, which has not just here in Santa Clara County, but across the country has really exploded um, as as an issue. And I know there are a huge number of initiatives that are being proposed here in Santa Clara County, but the biggest problem that they have isn't a lack of resources or ideas, it's the resistance from the so-called liberal folks who live in this area just don't want to have affordable housing constructed in their backyard. So I think to me, that's the most obvious place where I'm resonating with what you're, with what you're talking about. Um, It's very difficult. I mean, I, I, I hear about calls for those of us who, you know, really care about that, that issue to, to kind of go out and demonstrate in favor of affordable housing in our backyard. Otherwise, you, you, you almost have to go out of your way to, to ask for it uh, if, it's, if we're ever going to solve the problem. You know, as somebody who lived in Austin, Texas and Boulder, Colorado, also places <laughs> that talk the talk, but may not want to walk the walk. It goes exactly back to what you said earlier, Shay, which is what are we willing to do personally and how committed are we? And are we really willing to do something and give something up? And, or, or be willing to take a risk in some way. 
And I and I and that I think that behavior we see a lot here, which is um, they want to talk the talk, but they're not walking the walk in terms of actually. For instance, who do they who do they elect on these in these municipalities? Who's on the school board? You know, who are their council people? Are they people who are really going to bring about change, bring about affordable housing, anti-racist policies, or is it going to be business as usual? And um, so, you know, that that's where the rubber meets the road. Really, is is what people are honestly, authentically willing to do and sacrifice here too you know i mean at at the at all institutions the universities as well so it's it's a big job and we're in the middle of a place where we should be able to make progress and yet you know you know another thing i i wanted to ask you about i mean i know you and i've spoken about this before shay about recruiting we so for me the obvious place to start as a university not going back to talking about you, but is in our in our recruiting of of staff, faculty, and students, and trying to attract more uh, diverse candidates to be very intentional about finding more diverse candidates. I personally have found it very difficult um, to do that. I just contacted you about. <laughs> about a recruitment that we're doing right now. And I'm just, I'm very disappointed with the candidate pool. And I'll tell you also that in the last, I think four out of the last five recruitments, we've initially offered the position to black candidates, that none of which lived in this area. And as soon as they started doing the math, because they're not already here, and coming from across the country or somewhere else. I mean, it's very, very expensive to live here as well. So, you know, where do you start? How do you, how do you break these, these bottlenecks, especially when you're talking about staff and faculty? You know, how do, we, how do we crack the nut? I'm particularly thinking about staff right now, but I think it's across all the different stakeholder groups. I mean, we should ask ourselves, is it responsible to recruit um, all these folk here if we're not prepared to receive them? Right. And that is I mean, I think we should be recruiting, you know, we should have diverse recruiting pools. But but what about the responsibility and the accountability on our side to be able to receive folk into a culture who is ready for them? Right. And it's simple things that, you know, when I arrived, I had to, you know, I came out of a couple hair salons looking like the Lion King because I didn't know where to go like or what, you know, or places to get certain things that I need to get to be able to live. So it's like as basic as like, you know, basic things that you need to get done or like, where do I get, you know, you know, different things for my children. So I just wanted to start there because those are some of the things that I actually had to talk to a lot of the new faculty about. Is, is those things, is, is the simple things about how do we get basic things that we need. And, um, you know, uh, everything from a pediatrician or a doctor who's going to be inclusive to, um, you know, the simple things, like I said, around hair care, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's, I, I think a lot about that side of things that, you know, do we, um you know, if we have specific things going on in our organizational culture, um, in different departments that are um, that need to be addressed, that might be toxic or might not be um, a healthy environment for new employees across the board to come in, but 
also, if it's specifically dealing with issues around, um, around difference, like um, how do you expect for new folk to come into these, to these departments and thrive if, if you haven't even been able to get that under wraps, you know, before they even arrived? Um, all that's going to do is make those um, particular issues bubble up. So I would have to say that it's not, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Like we do that recruiting, but we're prepared, right? How do we set ourselves apart from other institutions who aren't thinking about this, who don't really uh, care about this, who feel like, oh, well, we have our reputation and you should just be proud to be at this particular place because that's that's how a lot of these in institutions that... Um, that, you know, are our peers or, you know, people that, you know, that might be higher up in the rankings, you know, I hate to talk about rankings, but hey, that's, that's higher ed. Some of them, you know, are now waking up to say like, oh, wow, we do have to make change. We do have to do something different. We are being called on these things. And I just think that, you know, as a, a Jesuit institution, this is a part of our fund fundamental values, ethically, like, um, we need to make sure that we're prepared to be able to create an environment for students, faculty, and staff, whoever it is that we invite into our community to thrive, not survive, not, you know, fireman crawl and hold on, you know, for dear life, but to actually thrive and have enjoyable um, experience uh, working at Santa Clara. And what I found is that people are absolutely amazing. I've, um, when I think about my transition, another reason why it's been so easy is because I've, you know, I met people like you and Don and Malachi and, you know, just really had such a warm welcome um, into the community and have been able to create community pretty quickly. Um, but how can we make this, the, you know, I'm sure that there's somebody who's coming around the same time as me who might not feel the same way. So how can we create, again, an environment for uh, folk to be able to thrive? And part of that is us preparing and sort of um, holding the mirror to ourselves and getting our house in order. I think it's also, I mean, we're later on in our career. Oh, I can't really speak for you. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, we're relatively senior in the organization. So when you start to talk about trying to convince someone at lower levels uh, of the organization to move across the country, um, it is, you know, it's a different story too, right? I think that's um, the, the affordability piece starts to bite a lot harder. So I think that's one of the yeah. I mean, that's also pay. I mean, that's another thing. We there's got to be some equity. We need to think about equity and pay. We need to think about you know incentivizing folk through um, bonuses and pay and all of those things. The reason why um, a lot of these companies in Silicon Valley they have the money, they have deep pockets, and they're able to get people here because they're able to pay them accordingly. Um, you know, based upon some of the things that they're doing. Now you know people would talk about like you know. The level of expertise that's required to do certain things, you know, people always want to make these these comparisons. But the folk that we're hiring are the people that make this place run and make actually, um, you know, help to enrich the environment for um, the students that are coming to um, to this institution. So we should we should really think about and do a review so that we can be competitive, like our packages can be competitive. This is one of the most expensive places to live in the world. <laughs> in, the, in the world, let me repeat it for everybody, <laughs> all the people in the back, in the world. And, um, you know, if you're coming here and you're also having to swim against the current because the culture isn't inclusive and you're not getting paid and you're struggling to live in one of these, these little tiny homes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I moved across. <laughs> I have 
I have, there's six of us and we're. <laughs> yeah, I think Don and I can relate. I, mean, I think we, we, we had this conversation before. Both of us moved to homes that were half the square footage of what we left in on the East Coast or in the Midwest yeah. in, in Don's case. So we, <laughs> we felt it, but ultimately felt like it was, you know, was worth it for all the reasons that you mentioned at the outset. Yeah, yeah. And do you know they don't have basements and attics? So I'm just <laughs> are you listening? You have a yard. <laughs> basements uh, and attics. <laughs> yeah, the outdoor space. That's what they always say. Use the outdoor space. Yeah. Um, you know, so on that issue, you know, we've been thinking about doing more hiring of people who live remotely. And because that really helps with the cost of living. But does that help us diversify as an institution? I, I think it can if you do it right, but I don't think it addresses some of those core issues you say. Yeah. And also, if you think about even remotely, though, there's still a culture that you have to build, that organizational culture you have to build. And, you know, when you're on these Zooms, when you're in the Brady Bunch boxes, like you can't escape like some certain microaggressions or certain things that might you know, happen in the, in just the day-to-day operations or in a meeting. And that still sort of has to be, you know, addressed and you still have to create uh, the strong, again, culture, a feeling of belonging. Um, And that takes work too, even in a remote environment. And there's a lot of, have you seen, I don't know if you've seen, but a lot of other companies around Silicon Valley and different things of that sort have been writing up like white papers and different things of that, of that sort to try to figure that out too, right? So how, when we all go remote, like how do you create the, that strong sort of like solidarity or um, these honest cultures or the unity within the different organizations? And so I think even in that particular case, in the remote case, you're still going to have to figure some of these things out. How do you stay uh, excited, enthusiastic uh, about your work, given sometimes the resistance um, and other you know, barriers you face? Well, my motto is I'll go around you and I'll go through you, but I'll get it done. So that's, let's just be clear about that. Um, um, so that, I think that that, that resilience, that, um, that fortitude or that tenacity about like, it, you know, I know that this is not for me. This is about, this is about this community and um, it's about doing the right thing for the community and and doing right by the community, which I think is, is incredibly uh, important. And then I just love this work. <laughs> I think it takes a special person to do this because it can be exhausting. I mean, nobody wants to sign up for um, those challenges or that pushback. But growing up with my dad being in the military, moving around a lot, um, being put in situations where I've had to meet you know new people pretty quickly, and just you know falling in love with the work over the years from the first sort of sociology class I took on race relations makes it just second nature for me. Like, it's not something that I do from eight to five. It's like my life. And I think that is what always, you know, um, keeps me excited, keeps me engaged in the work. Um, I'm happy to, to say that I get up every day and I love what I do. And I think that that's, that's hard for a lot of folks, even on the hard days. And there's days that are incredibly difficult um, where I, <laughs> um, I'm not gonna lie. The Lord's not through with me yet. Where you want to say a couple choice words, <laughs> but um, but in those particular situations, I also believe that my faith um brings me through, and really being um 
prayerful and being mindful about why I'm doing the work and the impact that I'm making and that I am engaging in, in ways in order to make effective change, that gets me excited about it. At one point in time, I used to work at a Port Mortar Company on the line, and you would always see sort of the, the truck roll off at the end of the day. So I, um, I look at the wins. I look at each day, there's different things that you can do to sort of symbolically see that truck that's rolling off the line um, and seeing that you're moving the needle. Um, and I think even with incremental change that I want to be a little bit quicker than than what it is at times, that keeps me coming back to sort of continue and to push. I think too, you know, we're fortunate to be working in areas that we have a sense of mission, right? Mm -hmm. That we're not just uh, coming in and punching the clock, that we we're working towards a greater good. You know, I know Miller Center is, we're definitely working to try to get people to be ethical, and make better decisions and treat human beings better and work towards improving the human condition and absolutely what you're doing. So I think that helps when we hit the bad times. Yes, I think, thank you for saying that. That mission-driven work makes um, such a big difference. And I talk to students about that all the time and they're looking at me like, okay, here we go with the, the motivational speech. <laughs> But honestly, I um, I truly believe that. And I remember, you know, I come from a family where it was more like doctor, lawyer, engineer in certain ways. Like when you go to school, that's what you should be thinking about. And I remember when I decided to become a sociology major, they're like, well, what are you going to do with that? And I, I honestly, it was just a, a prayer, just my relationship with the Lord, where it's like, if you honor God with your decision, he'll take care of you. And when I tell you, is delivered over and over again, just by doing my work with purpose. I, mean, I can't even, the joy that I, that I get in doing this work again, even in the hard times is amazing. And that is not, but I'm going to be honest with you. Like you think about chief diversity officers or, or individuals that are doing this work, they are just tattered. Like, I mean, the way that you're, you're treated and burned and churned out of these institutions, out of these, I mean, this is not just higher education. This is across the board. The way people have you come and sort of be this figurehead or only lead in a sort of symbolic realm. Again, when we talk about the four frames, like just doing work in the symbolic and the political and not being empowered with the agency to do the stuff in the structural and in the human resource side, it just it really has turned a lot of people off to this work. They have walked away from this work, but that just hasn't been my experience. And I think it's also connecting with the right organizations or institutions who really have the heart, the will to change and have backed it up with their resources um, and really have opened up doors to be able to move this work forward. So I have been fortunate enough to be at places and then also be in prayer and discerning where I'm going to go to do this work. So I don't feel like I'm swimming against the current every day as well. So I also think it has to do a lot with you. Uh, I think that you you've had an incredibly inclusive stance in the way that you listen to people and the way you're trying to understand the organization. You didn't come in saying, you know, I know what to do here. I know what's what. And I'm going to go around telling everyone what, you know, how to do the job. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that others would do that necessarily, but I think it has made it a lot easier, hopefully, for for you um, based on your approach. It's been very uh, healthy, I think, and very inclusive. So that's really, we're lucky. 
No, <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I, feel, I feel, again, welcomed. And you could be the nicest person, the best cheerleader on the face of the earth. But if, if people, you know, this is not what they want, then... <laughs> But as it, I always tell people, even Jesus couldn't preach in his own hometown. He had to dust his feet off and go to the next town. So, <laughs> yeah, had to keep moving. Had to keep moving. Yes. Um, awesome. Well, we've been talking today with uh, Shay Duncan Smith. Shay, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. This is Line of Sight. My name is Don Heider. I'm the executive director of the Markless Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University. And I'm Bridget Helms, executive director at Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship also at Santa Clara University. And I want to thank you so much, Shay, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure.